The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Today is Palm Sunday. And what is Palm Sunday? Well, it's the day that we remember and celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem when he rode in on a colt. Uh, he was fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy that the Messiah would do that. And as he did, those recognizing him proclaimed Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as was custom to do, recognizing royalty, they would lay their coats on his path. They would lay palm branches on his path. And so they were recognizing Jesus was the Messiah, the royal son of David, as prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. And so Paul is talking about this day in Romans 9 through 11. And you say, how so? Well, because in the middle of the crowd of those proclaiming Hosanna, Hosanna, there was a more sinister group who was plotting to kill him. Those who did not receive him as the Messiah. And so they saw him and watched him. And this is all recorded in your Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the life of Jesus and his, his uh, ministry. And so what did he do as soon as he entered in town? If you're reading Matthew's account of it, the very next record that Matthew records is he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple, turns over the tables, another fulfillment of the prophecy that said the, the Messiah would have zeal for the temple. And so he... He said, this should be a house of prayer, not a house of merchandising. And so he's fulfilling again scripture, demonstrating he is the Messiah. And so in response to that, the children in the temple said, Hosanna to the son of David. Now the word Hosanna is an expression of joy and praise for deliverance. And so even the children are recognizing that Jesus is the deliverer, the Messiah, but not so the religious chief priests and scribes, Matthew 21, says that they became indignant. And so not everyone was cheering. Not everyone believed. In fact, from that moment on, they began to plot to arrest him and to kill him. And so they asked him trick questions and they asked him, they tried to trap him. But over and over again, he made it very clear that he is the Messiah. In Matthew 21, Jesus said to them, and you're going to recognize these from what Paul has said in Romans recently. Jesus said to them, Did you not ever read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And so Jesus looks to them and says, you're going to reject me. God's going to reject you for rejecting me. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans 9 through 11. What went wrong with Israel? I mean, these were the chosen people of God. They had all the trappings of being the covenant people of God that should point them to trust in Jesus. And then when the Jesus Messiah arrives on Palm Sunday... So many others, the Gentile crowd, are proclaiming him. And so many of the religious, zealous, sincerely religious people reject him. And so Paul is wrestling with this in his anguish in his soul over unbelief of people who he loves. 
And so Paul has been challenging us as we've been studying Romans. Do we see the same thing happening around us? This is not just an ancient Israel problem. This is something that we face every day. Very religious people, very sincere people, very zealous people are not attaining the righteousness of God. And it should be breaking our heart. Now, why did Israel, why do they, who are sincere and zealous, fail to attain the righteousness of God? Because Paul has been teaching us, it doesn't, you can't attain righteousness through religion. You can't attain righteousness with God. As wonderful as it is that we have you at D now this weekend, it did not merit favor with God that you attended that. As wonderful it is that every one of you is here and perhaps you put something in the offering plate or perhaps you served someone this week, that does not merit righteousness. The only way to be made righteous in God's eyes is to receive it as a gift that you receive from Jesus. He says, I'll give you my righteousness. And so they failed to do that, so they rejected the Messiah when he showed up proclaiming to be the source of righteousness And Paul is going to take an in-depth look at today what went wrong. Why why did they miss it? So today I pray that through this study, God gives each one of us a sense of urgency about the gospel. A sense of urgency, first of all, to believe the gospel message and a sense of urgency to share the gospel message. So let's ask God to do that this morning. Lord, we need your help this morning. We pray that your spirit will move powerfully in everyone's heart today, that all of us will leave here changed, that we will have a greater sense of urgency and passion for the glorious good news of Jesus Christ. And that we will not only believe it for ourselves, but that we will share it that we will be heralds of the gospel. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to break this passage into two observations. First of all, how God saves. Second of all, who God saves. So how does God save? This is where Paul goes when he's explaining what went wrong with Israel. First of all, he explains, well, let's think about how God saves, and that'll help us understand what went wrong with Israel. In verses 14 through 17, he asks a series of rhetorical questions. And the the rhetorical series of questions is meant to highlight the logic of how God saves, the normal way God saves. It doesn't mean this is the only way. It doesn't mean God is being put in a box. But it says this is normal. This is the way, according to the word of God, this is the way it works. He's following up on Verse 13 from last week where he said, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then today he says, but verse 14, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And then think about it. Well, how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach without, unless they are sent? And then he quotes Isaiah, just as it is written, here's the point. How beautiful, how timely, that could be translated. How timely, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. 
Then he goes on, however, they did not all hear the good news. For, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? But then he summarizes it. So here's how it works. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So in these verses, Paul is working backwards to build to a point for us to see how important it is that we share the good news. Because that's how God saves most of the time. In these verses, he's working through the idea of whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call if they don't believe? Who's going to call, Lord, save me if they don't believe the message that the Lord can save? Well, how can they believe that the Lord can save if they've never even heard this good news that the Lord will save whoever calls on the name of the Lord? Well, how can they hear it if nobody's sharing it? Silence. How are they going to hear it? That's his point. How timely How beautiful are the feet who share that good news. And so that's what Paul is doing. He's working through the logical progression. And and you can basically see there's a sequence of three events. There's the, first of all, the preaching and hearing event. And then upon the preaching and hearing, the person comes to faith. That's the believing. And then if they believe that God is actually willing and able to save them, they call out, Lord, save me. But where does this... How does this happen? The person calling on the name of the Lord, how does that come about? Well, they hear that the Lord will save, but they they have to believe and hear and all this process. But it begins with you sharing, preaching the gospel. It begins with me preaching the gospel. And if you're sitting there saying, yeah, that's what we pay you to do. You do. You do. And I try. But my job's not done when I step out of here. I've got to go preach it 24-7. It's the concept of being a herald. All of us are heralds of the gospel. The scriptures saying that we are heralds. We are ambassadors. A herald was one when, when a people were at war. And there was finally peace. They signed a, a truce, a peace agreement. The herald came into town and proclaimed good news. We're no longer at war. We're at peace. Spread the word. And the word spreads like wildflower. Wildfire. Like wildflowers. They bloom in the spring. That's how the gospel spreads. So that's how it spreads is you hear it and you tell your friends, you tell the people in your life, get the word out. Peace. We are under no more war. We have brought peace in that good news to be shared. And so that's what he says. That's how people get saved. That's how God saves is through people, just regular old people like us. Just spreading the good news. There's peace found. There's reconciliation with God. You don't have to be at war with God You find peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when you consider the logic of this, it all points right down to us. He sets it in our lap. He puts the gospel in your hands, in my hands. And he says, that's how God saves. 
to help us grasp the significance of this, I think we need to just back up and think of what Paul's been doing in Romans. And he's just been just this huge, just universal scope of God is sovereign and all of humanity is fallen in their sin. This is Romans. This is what he's been teaching us. And in all of our sin and rebellion against God, every single one of us, there's no exception, universal condemnation in our rebellion against God, that all of us are being drugged down by our sin, like gravity pulling us down. He says, but then God is merciful and gracious and compassionate, and he reaches out his hand all day long, his hand of salvation through faith. In Christ. And then he stopped in 9 11, 9 through 11, and he's been just wrestling with this concept. And we see this sovereign God over the universe offering salvation. And he says, Now think about this. Now let me just pause for a second. Let me give you a side. Do not be distracted by the doctrinal difficulties of election and choosing. Just, just set that aside for a second and hear what Paul is saying. He says, there are a, among the mass of the faceless crowd of humanity, there are names engraven on his hand. There is a book with names called the book of life that when you read in the scriptures of Revelation that Jesus, only the sacrificial lamb of God, could open that book and read the names of individuals whom he knows how many hairs are on their head. He knows where they live. He knows their jobs. He knows their friends. He knows their families. They are going to be saved. God Those whom he foreknew, he predetermined they will be saved. How? When they call the name of the Lord. How? When they believe. How? When they hear. How? When you tell them. Wow. In Acts, Paul was walking into a town called Corinth. Sharing this gospel, heralding the good news, there is peace with God through faith in Christ alone. And apparently he was afraid. Paul, of all people, was afraid to share. Because listen, he met some resistance and God comes to him in a vision and he says, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. Why? For I am with you, God says. No man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. I have many people that I intend to save in this city, Paul, so open your mouth. I'm using you to save them. Here's their names. God is saying that to you and me, to all of us today. I have many people in this city that I want to save. Do not be silent. I am with you and I have many people I intend to save. I hope you find this both challenging and encouraging. It's challenging to know that it all hinges, not like that God is desperately 
begging us, but in the sense it's God's plan to use you and me, each one of us. Students, I'm not just talking to your parents. Kids, doesn't matter how young you are. You're not, I'm not even in high school or middle school yet. No, he chooses all of us to be a part of his plan. If you have put faith in Christ, then he says, guess how I'm going to save those people around you. So it's challenging. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. I am with you and I have many people in this city. I also hope it encourages you to understand he has many people in this city. It's not like, oh, nobody's going to get saved. Yeah, he's got plans to save. If he was done, he would be back. He said, when the last person is heard, I'm coming back. So if you're sitting there going, come Jesus, come. He's going, share the gospel. And I'm coming then. And so he says, I have many people I intend to save. Quit arguing about how to make sense of that and open your mouth and share the good news. Herald the gospel. It's good news. And so that's encouraging. I know it sounds a little bit weird. It shouldn't surprise you coming from me, but... I used to think of the picture. Have you ever played with magnets? Y'all ever mess with magnets? You ever seen a big maggot? Maggot? I'm having problems today. (laughs) Maggots are messed up. I'm not going to go there. We're going to go with magnets. Have you ever had a magnet break up on you and you take the magnet and you start messing with them and parts of it just (laughs) push away from it? Yeah, parts of it just come to it? Depends on, I mean, it's like, wow, that's weird. It's because of the, the... Whatever, positive and negative and all that. You guys could probably explain it to me. I don't get it. But the point is, it's the same magnet. You start putting it over that some things just come to it and some things are repulsed by it. And that's kind of it is when you share the gospel, you don't always know who's going to respond. And sometimes it's surprising of who is attracted to Christ when they hear the gospel. And sometimes it's shocking that the very person you thought, oh, this will be, this should go well. They're like, and you're just, Wow. It's not our role to figure it all out. It's our role to herald the good news and let God draw them to the Christ, to Christ and the gospel when they hear the message and they, it ignites faith in their heart. That's our role. How does God save those names that are written in the Lamb's book of life? He puts believers in their life. And he says, tell them, tell them about Jesus. Who does God save? Paul's explained how God saves is through believers sharing the gospel. But now he's going to work, apply this to the case of Israel. He's going to say, well, so what went wrong with Israel? And in this, as we figure out what went wrong with Israel, we'll see, okay, now I get it. I see who God's who God saves. In verse 18, he quotes a psalm to remove one possible reason that God did not save Israel. That reason being, well, maybe they never heard. Maybe they didn't get saved because they never heard. Paul says, oh no. Verse 18, but I say, surely Israel has never heard, right? Have they? Oh, indeed they have. And then he quotes, their voice has gone out into all the earth. 
and their words to the ends of the world. Psalm 19. He's quoting Psalm 19 to get the point across. All of Israel has heard the gospel. They can't say they didn't hear. Israel as the people are without excuse. Every single person in this room is without excuse. Listen to me clearly. Jesus is the only hope of your righteousness. None of you can say, I never heard that. No one can say, well, I just didn't know, God. That's not fair. No, we've all heard. Then in 19 through 21, Paul removes a related possible problem. Well, well, maybe they just didn't understand. Maybe you heard, but they didn't know or they didn't understand. He says, no, no. He quotes several Old Testament passages. First, the law, then the prophets. The point being their own scriptures. Your Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible. Their own Bible presented the gospel very clearly to them. They can't say, I didn't know. Paul says in verse 19, but I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? Yes. Moses, first of all, Moses says, and he quotes Moses. Now, this is a quote coming from the Song of Moses, where Moses is looking forward to the future day, warning Israel in your obstinance and your unbelief, you're going to reject the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to reject you. And he says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding will I anger you. You say, well, they didn't understand. Oh, they understood. God's going to make them jealous with a nation who didn't understand. So here Paul quotes the song of Moses out of the law of their own scriptures to say, no, there's no excuse. They understood. And then he goes to the prophets. Isaiah 65, 1, he quotes in verse 20 saying, And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. He's talking about the Gentiles versus those very religious Jews who had all these great blessings of the covenant. But he says, I'm going to move to the Jew. I'm going to move to the Gentiles when the Jews reject me. It's going to happen. They knew. They were told. Verse 21, but as for Israel, he says, and he quotes again, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. It's not God's fault. This is not anti-Semitic. This is every single human being who rejects God and goes to hell. No one goes to hell saying, I didn't know. I didn't have a chance. I didn't understand. I wanted to trust Jesus. No. God's not to blame. We are all accountable. None of us has excuse. In fact, he goes on to say, they killed the prophets. They killed everybody I sent to them. I was warning them and they killed the prophets. Now, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday... He knew exactly what was going on and he was about to go to the cross and before he condemned the religious, before he went to the cross, he condemned the religious rulers of Israel for their unbelief, the most religious people. He's not condemning those who are out there sinning and and he, he, he went to them and said, trust in me, but to the religious people who knew, who should have seen very clearly, had no excuse the ones that were self-righteous, he says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are whitewashed tombs, which 
on the outside appear beautiful. He's saying, you are beautiful coffins. On the outside, you're beautiful, but on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. So you too, outwardly, you appear righteous with your religion, but inwardly, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness because your heart is not putting faith in Christ. Religious, beautiful deeds are only of value as they flow out of a heart of faith in Christ. If you're using that to make yourself look good in anyone else's eyes or to look good in God's eyes, he says, that's like a really pretty coffin. There's no life inside. Jesus also warned the Jews of his own day and warned the Jews of Paul's day. He said, listen, I'm going to send you prophets and you're going to kill them just like your father. Though he's talking about the apostles who took the gospel to the ends of the earth. He says, therefore, behold, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them will kill and crucify. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous bloodshed on earth. And then Jesus grieves over the unbelief of the religious people, just like Paul grieved. And he says, Jesus says, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Did they hear? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Did they know? Did they understand? Yes. But God said, I held my hand out to you all the day long. But you were an obstinate, disobedient people. God is holding his hand out to us all day long. You can't say I didn't know. You can't say I didn't understand. Don't be an obstinate disobedient person. Submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save you. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. You see, to help you understand that this doesn't happen through, primarily, it doesn't happen through the paid preacher. It happens through everyday, normal sharing of what's going on in your life. The heralds, on the corners of everyday life, sharing the good news. So I want to invite Jeremy Fox to come up. Jeremy is going to share with you how God did this in his life. And I want you to hear this story and see, wow, I can do this too. Come over here, Jeremy. Don't run from me. I know. I'm even more nervous on this one. Jeremy, what's your name? Jeremy Fox. See, he's doing good, isn't he? He's off to a good start. What are your kids' names? Walker, Kean, and Cowan. All right. What's up? You gave me a head nod back there. I like it. Do you know your wife's name? Shannon. See, you're good. He's, he's got them all. All right. So I got a couple of good questions I want to ask you. Um, yeah, we got your name. Got your kids' names. All right. How long have you been a member of Norse Ferry? Uh, spring of 2013. 2013. Yes, and here it is, spring of 2017. So not 16. too long ago. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Wildflowers are everywhere. I'm floating into next year. Back there in the corner, we had a baptistry set up. Yes, sir. And we baptized you. It was yes, an awesome sir. day. So we are excited to hear from you. Um, how many members of Norris Ferry did God use in a significant way to bring you to salvation? Uh, I would say four. Okay. Four individuals. What are their names? Matt Johnson, Luke Pearson, David Granger, and David Ham. That's awesome. All right. Tell us a little bit. Now, how long have you known Ham? Bless high you. school. Back to high school. High school. Yeah. So it was probably his high school lifestyle that. No. Exactly. <laughs> Everything from high school. Yeah. yeah. No. All right. So that comes later. So, all right. So, all right. So tell me, how did God use those four people in your life? All right. I, I think it started back when uh, my son Walker was at St. Paul's. Um, we started becoming friends with Matt and Angie Johnson. Uh, our boys, Walker and Ian, played sports together. And we started hanging out, becoming friends. And Matt and Angie would ask us to church. They would ask us where we were in our walk. Now, at that point, where would you, how would you have self-described yourself at that time? Like, I thought I was saved at that time. But now looking at it, I know I was just completely wrong. So when they were coming to you and asking you these questions, were you like, back off, dude? Yeah, I thought everything was fine. Don't worry about me. You know, I was okay. Were you offended by them asking you? Not really. Uh, I knew my wife was real strong in her faith. She came from a very loving, strong Did they have a sign on their chest saying, I'm trying to bring you to salvation? Matt did. He did. Wow. (laughs) No. That's messed up, Matt. Matt did. Don't do that. That's not a game plan. But uh, what we didn't know at the time was that Matt and Angie had been... Uh, faithfully praying for God to bring them some individuals who were unbelievers and outside of the church that they could walk with, that they could lean on and love, and our paths crossed. Yeah. And so through that time, you know, we, Matt and Angie just draw into us. Uh, they would invite us to church. They would bring Walker and Ken to church. We came, I think, once or twice, and it was just kind of yeah, I'm not sure about this. I don't this know place I, is weird. Just, yeah, yeah, thought it was weird. Yeah, there was no pamphlet or anything I could check off. I That's was used to the, yeah. the Catholic Church, and yeah. Um, and then a little bit later, we started playing sports with Ryan Pearson. So I got to know Luke Pearson and Tori, and immediately I knew there was something just special about them. There was a light, and I didn't like know visit, it at the time. Did they like have a flashlight? Or? He had a huge flashlight that he <laughs> no. over over so, so when you say a light, what do you mean? Like what was it? It was. Looking back, I think it was just Christ. Who Christ was coming through. So uh, it was just like the way they acted, the way they talked. carried themselves, the way they interacted with everyone. They loved everybody. Ah, and, so love maybe. And Luke had just a, a big impression on me, and um, I always kind of looked up to him for it. And so I was always curious about that. And then I think a couple years down the road, we moved two houses down from the Grangers. Uh oh, look out. So I, I feel like the Lord was just yeah, putting these individuals into it. Yeah, I think you're probably um, right. And at the time, it, you know, I was just hurting inside. It, on the outside, it looked like we had everything together, but I was hurting. I was blaming my wife for everything. And when I was at my lowest and ready to leave, she was at her strongest. Mm. And she loved me. She didn't give up. Our friends didn't give up on us. And she would tell me to pray, and I just kind of thought, eh, I'm not sure about that. What do you mean? Why were you not sure? Because sure? I wasn't sure if God would answer my prayers. I just, I didn't know. And then so I started praying. That summer I was working in New Orleans, and I remember God telling me that my place was with my family. Hmm. Um, so I told her about it, and we talked. And 
I'll stay. And we still kind of had some problems and struggled. And um, right after Christmas and New Year's, we watched the movie Courageous. And I remember telling her that there was something I was missing. I want that. The way that those men bonded together. Mm. And we decided to go to church. We were going to go to Broadmoor Methodist. You were going to drive right by here? We were going to pass right by go here. Go to Broadmoor Methodist. <laughs> Nothing against now you. Now, you knew Matt was here. Yeah. You knew Luke was here. Matt, you knew Granger was here, but you were just going to go right on by. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Matt and them had moved, so. Yeah, I love Broadmoor Methodist. I'm just saying. Um, but in the middle of the night, our, our youngest got sick, running 102, 103 fever. So the Lord had other plans. He had other plans. And so Shannon stayed home. And I said, well, I'm going to take the kids. We'll just go on to North Ferry. As a last resort. As a last resort. <laughs> uh, we got here, and I remember the men stepping up. And it came on, and it felt at the time, God just, boom. Which, pause. Which, by the way, Luke Pearson, totally, the way, our, the way we do this, we have connection group, I mean, we have community group and congregation and some classes to equip the saints to do what the Lord lays on their heart. The Lord laid that on, that whole ministry on Luke's heart, and you walk in and see the video. What happens when you see the video? I just, I felt like he hit me upside the back of the head and said, I've been talking, you're not listening, and it's time. And it just kind of ignited something within me. I wasn't sure what it was. I remember talking to Luke. You know, do you have to be a member to sign up? Can non-members sign up? And he said, come on. So I, I know when I got home, I was 90 miles an hour to my wife, but she just embraced it and loved me for it. And She's like, did you drink a Red Bull? Like, what's... She asked if I drank something. I don't know if <laughs> um, monster, right? Yeah. You mean Red Bull Monster, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I don't know if I signed up that or the next one, but after that, it was we were all in. We signed up for Connection Group. And at this time, I realized just kind of how sinful I was and wicked and that my deeds and good works that I was doing wasn't going to save me. Amen. And I started going to Granger. Uh, I also had Luke and Ham, and Granger and I would meet. And so hold on. Walked. When you walked in and saw Ham here, were you like, whoa, this is messed if he up? he can be saved, I can be saved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, brother. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so God uses all kinds of people. He did. And, and those four men, I love them dearly and everything that they've done for me. They walked with me. They took me under their wing, told me the good news. We shared the gospel. You know, I, I just can't say enough about the impact that they've, they've had. And ultimately, it was Christ. Amen. But, you know. Yeah. God used them in a big way. Yes, they did. Thank you, brother. Thank you. We love you. So to summarize what he just said, God used primarily me as a preacher. <laughs> it's not what he said, is it? It was ordinary members doing ordinary things and God doing something extraordinary. Praying that God will put someone in their life, being a faithful neighbor, living the life to back up the confession, doing what we're doing here. It required part of this, showing up, and God bringing a man to salvation and the impact that's had on your family and generations to come. That's significant. How does God save
Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call if they have not believed? How will they believe if they have not heard? How will they hear if we do not share the gospel? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful testimony of your power to change a life. And we've had the great privilege of watching Jeremy's life changed, Jeremy's family changed, his marriage changed, his parenting changed. And we know for generations to come, there will be tremendous blessing in that family as a result as a result of other people who have been radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, just sharing with those in their life. The Lord, help us to be a part of your work in people's lives. Help us to herald the good news that the war can be ended through reconciliation by faith in Christ, that you don't have to be at war with God. And Lord, I believe that you are calling us as a church. I believe you are telling us, I have many people in this city. I have many people behind the gates of these gated communities. I have many people in the various neighborhoods of Shreveport. I have many people that I have put in the lives of every person sitting here. I have many people in this city that I intend to save through our, through each one of us, opening our mouth and telling the good news of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. I am with you, the Lord says. Do not be silent, for I have many people. Lord, some of us may see many come to salvation. Some of us may not get to see any through our direct efforts. But Lord, make us a church that proclaims, that heralds the good news. And I am convinced that you would fill this place with converts. Fill this place with Jeremy Foxes. Fill this place with lives that, has been, that have been transformed by faith in Christ that you would fill this place with your glory, that you would fill this place with the light through our collective efforts of heralding the gospel that you will save many people if we will do our part of sharing the good news. Make us faithful to your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.